The company was a Goliath in its industry, and Marissa had a lot of respect for it. But she also knew the company was facing hard times. And when she got the call asking her to join the team as CEO, she knew that turning things around would be no small feat. The company had an attrition rate of close to 25%, meaning one in four people were leaving. It had cycled through six CEOs in the past five years. The stock price was dropping and revenue losses were at an all-time high. Most news sources, investors, and business executives agreed that the company was on its way to the grave. To join the sinking ship would be crazy, and Marissa knew it was crazy. But of course, we wouldn't be sharing her story if she hadn't taken the leap. Marissa started as CEO the day her appointment was announced. But rather than jump in, take the wheel, and try to save the ship, for the first 90 days, she did nothing. She didn't present a strategy. She didn't cut off hemorrhaging lines of business. She didn't try to recruit a new team. No, she remained silent. And for three months, all she did was listen. It's a technique many notable CEOs have used when entering a new organization. And it's one today's guest has relied on time and time again. Third day on the job, I had a town hall, like literally third or fourth day on the job. I could tell we just had a really frustrated labor force. They had just been through a lot of cost cutting and there had been layoffs and people had had their job responsibilities changed. And I, you know, stood up in front of a group of 40 or 50 people and I probably had five town halls that week. And I basically just took verbal punishment. That's Steve Murphy, CEO of Epicor. And he, like Marissa, was brought on to help turn around a business at an inflection point. Four years later, Epicor is a thriving business, making more than $900 million in revenue with 20,000 customers in more than 150 countries. In 2020, it was acquired for $4.7 billion, one of the largest software acquisitions that year. So what exactly helped Steve and Epicor write a new ending to their story? Find out on Business X Factors. I'm Jeremy Bergeron, Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org, and this is Business X Factors. Each week, we'll take a look at the secret sauce that takes companies to the highest levels of success and unpack how they got there. We'll explore how these organizations are run, what's so special about the people, culture, and processes that make it all happen. Question for you. What do you think is the best use of technology? Our friends at Highland believe technology is about transforming the way we all work so we can be more informed, empowered, and connected through every interaction and in every relationship with everyone we serve. Highland is your X factor for better performance. Go to highland.com forward slash insights to learn more. That's H-Y-L-A-N-D.com slash insights. Growing up, Steve 
like many kids, had a knack for taking things apart. But unlike most kids, Steve could and would actually put everything back together. And he'd even go another step further. He'd turn around his now working creation to make a profit. I remember as a kid taking apart a lawnmower that didn't work and putting it, like as a 10 year old, putting it back together. It was gonna be thrown away by my dad and I think I can get it to work. Got it to work and then I made money mowing lawns. True story. I was always interested in building stuff and I give you a long list of things I built. Those formative experiences taught him an early lesson that to fix something, you have to first work backward and understand what's broken to begin with. It's a simple but vital lesson. One that so many of us forget as we try to put a hundred tiny band-aids on giant wounds rather than get to the root of an issue. As Steve got older, his tinkering evolved. And unsurprisingly, he decided that he wanted to become an engineer. He went to the University of California, Davis, and got a degree in mechanical engineering. Fresh out of college, he immediately and excitedly started his first job at a little consumer goods company called Procter & Gamble. We implemented a ERP system, and I saw how powerful it was. And this was for inventory selection in a 400,000 square foot warehouse for soap, detergent, Tide detergent. And what had happened was they had to make a structural change to the warehouse and they put a couple of columns, low bearing columns in the path of the forklifts. And we were able to redirect the forklifts to pick locations with that software in five minutes. And it would have taken months to figure it out. Maybe never would have figured it out. And that was when the light bulb went off and I said, I think this is something I want to do. And at some point I I made the shift maybe two or three years later. Steve had found his true calling and it wasn't in the hands-on world of mechanical engineering. It was in the more abstract digital world of software. If you like to build things, the place where you have an unlimited opportunity to build almost anything is software. You're not constrained by anything. But P&G doesn't just help him find his passion for software. His role there also helped him prepare for the numerous managerial and leadership positions he'd find himself in throughout his career. P&G did a good job of giving me a lot of responsibility. Like if you take responsibility on, they'll, they'll let you have it. And I quickly learned that while you're probably not going to be liked by everyone, if you do your job and you keep your word, you'll probably be respected. And that was a tough lesson to learn as like a 23-year-old, but I learned it and I remember at times being very isolated, became like a, in management as, as a very young guy in that big distribution center. And I remember having to grapple with that, like kind of part of leadership is, if your objective is I want everybody to like me, you probably won't be any good at your job. But if respect is enough and keeping your word is enough for you, then you can handle those leadership roles. After P&G, Steve went on to work at a number of notable tech companies, including Accenture, an 11-year stint at Oracle, where he became senior vice president of sales and service, and then working as president of OpenText. Across his experience, he learned more about software and more about managing a team. Are there other current CEOs or just business leaders that started inspiring you then or inspire you now? Who are some folks that you really like the, the way that they are producing in the business world back then or now? Yeah, back then, Jack Welch, a guy ran GE for, I think, almost 30 years, who was an engineer prior to what he did. I think I modeled myself a bit after him in that 
he did get down in the weeds enough to not be meddlesome and bother people, but to know enough about the technical issues that he actually could help or could help direct resources. And then one of the guys I worked for at Oracle, Mark Hurd, was a very strong operational executive where, similar to me, he, he really liked the problem-solving part and realized, and he role-modeled it well at Oracle, that there's a limit when you're in the CEO job of how much you can really help if you get too down in the weeds. You really have to find that sweet spot to where you are helpful, but you're not the bottleneck for things getting done. And in some cases, you just got to hand it off and go, hey, do the best you can. If you hit a roadblock, come back to me. Every experience, mentor, piece of advice, and career pivot is what sets Steve on the path toward Epicor. And in 2017, he finally got the call that would land him his first CEO position. Founded in 1972, Epicor is a half-century-old business that has made a name for itself in manufacturing, distribution, retail, and services industries. Epicor provides software that does everything from enterprise resource planning and customer relationship management to supply chain and human capital management. When Steve joined, the company was in a time of turmoil and transition. It was stuck with one foot in the old and one in the new, unsure how to usher in a new digital age quickly and in a way that was seamless for its clients. When you joined Epicor, it had not really pivoted to the cloud yet. Was the prospect of changing that a big draw factor as well? Did you think that there was this real big potential? Because that's a big bet before it was a thing too. Yeah, it was a huge bet. It needed to happen. And four or five years ago, it was something I very seriously considered. If we would have been stuck or refused to change and said, hey, we're only going to sell on-premise, you get shut out of a major part of the market over time. And at this point, more than half of the new business we book will be cloud business. Steve knew that while it was a big bet and a big investment, cloud would become the key path forward for the company. But even with an idea of what needed to be done in mind, Steve knew he was in for an uphill battle. Most experienced CEOs would turn down a role like this, but Steve was intrigued by the challenge. So what did it take for Steve to really help turn Epicor around? How did he leverage lessons learned from his childhood to help guide his new team towards success? And whatever happened to our CEO friend Marissa from the top of this episode? More after the break. When I need help, I want someone who understands where I am now and where I'm coming from, but with a broader perspective. The folks at Highland are like that. Highland is a true partner to more than half of Fortune 100 companies, a partner that understands your industry and offers expertly tailored solutions that evolve with you. With Highland, you gain a complete view of information across your organization along with the agility to compete at the top of your game and deliver better customer experiences. Highland is your X factor for better performance. Go to highland.com forward slash insights to learn more. That's H-Y-L-A-N-D.com slash insights. Steve had just started as CEO of Epicor, and three days into the job, he found himself in a town hall facing upset employees. 
He told me out of everything he's experienced at Epicor in the four years he's been there, that day still ranks as one of the most challenging. I basically just took verbal punishment and then, you know, tried to, based on a guy who had been in the job for 72 hours, said, hey, here's my take on things and here's what I think we need to do. And that's come a long way too, but that was a tough day. It was difficult, but Steve took a lesson from his younger self. In order to fix things, you first have to understand what is broken. Listening to his employees was his way of being able to do that, even if it meant subjecting himself to a lot of emotions. After several months of working with his executive team, board members, and directly with employees, he was able to start rolling out changes that would help the company get back on track. The first task at hand? Completely rethinking how to sell and market Epicor's products. When you take an entire workforce and you shift them from the old way of doing things to the new way of doing things, and the old way in software was a license. It would be a, a long-term license somebody would buy with maintenance around it to, hey, we're going to sell software as a service. You have a lot of people, especially people about my age, 40s, maybe up to 50, where they are set in their ways around their work process. And it was a significant effort to take an entire generation of engineers and programmers that grew up with, you know, hey, I write code on the computer and it runs in a server to, no, we're going to sell this in a different way. And you're actually going to be able to buy the software. And all you need is your iPhone or Android. You literally could have a big factory running on our software. And the only thing people need to bring to work is their phone. Changes for us was changing what people were expected to understand, what their skills were around the technology and the contracts, how they sold it, how they got paid. All of that was a huge shift with me and my senior team. We're all about my age being some of the people that had to make the shift to this new flexible model. It was hard. What made the shift easier was Steve listening and bringing his team along for the ride. Rather than implement these changes and say, good luck, he rolled them out with training. We went out and said to all the different functional experts, hey, this is a transition we're making and we'll provide you the tools to succeed. And 10 years ago, I would have said, hey, it's probably a 50-50 on our more experienced salespeople that could make the leap. And it turned out it was a lot higher than that. It was probably four out of five with the right support and training are very successful, understanding the new product, contracting for it, understanding the engineering around it and selling it. I will say we overachieved and I'm glad we did. But it wasn't just employees that needed to be listened to. Clients were also knocking at the door, wanting to understand why deadlines were being missed and promises forgotten. Healing broken client relationships requires rebuilding trust, which is a lot harder to repair than an old broken down lawnmower. For Epicor, it meant taking responsibility for past mistakes and leveraging another one of Steve's earlier lessons, keeping your word to build respect. We have a very strong relationship with Ace Hardware and Ace Hardware has around 4,000 hardware stores that run in our software. So they're a big customer and they're an important customer. And they're impressive when I think about their ability to help us be at the top of our game and to be able to have the software do everything they want. And I think it was probably, oh, a year and a half ago where I was on the phone with the CEO of Ace Hardware and we had a conversation where it was, it was very 
positive and productive. And uh, clearly we had gotten to a point where they were really happy with our product and it was doing what they wanted. There was more work to be done. But I say that in that my first week on the job, a few years prior to that, the conversation with, with this guy was like, we're not sure we want to do business with you anymore because we're disappointed in some of the uh, things you promised that you didn't do. And it wasn't me. I hadn't been here for that. But it's like, hey, feedback accepted. With things smoothed over for Epicor's clients and their employees, Steve turned his attention to the future. And that meant reflecting on what had happened in manufacturing and distribution so that Epicor and its clients could stay way ahead of what would happen. One of the things that I saw was around 2016-17 was there was some real strain in the relationship with the China supply chain. In other words, there were a lot of places where people were manufacturing products domestically and they were really concerned about sourcing components or products or being able to make the goods that they had to bring to market if that supply chain broke down or the relationship was to sour. And they really started thinking about sourcing things domestically. So when you think about contrarian, that wasn't in vogue five years ago at all. And what I saw was there was going to be a lot of investment because we support people that make things, make, move, and sell anything from an, an auto part to building material to an axle assembly. There's going to be a lot of pressure to be able to source everything domestically for your electric car or your gas-powered car or whatever shows up in the hardware store. You need to know your supply lines won't get cut off, and you need to have systems that can easily switch from vendor to vendor or from region to region, language to language, database to database, and be able to know that you're going to be nimble. You're going to be able to produce the goods. And we saw that. I won't say I was some kind of a uh, you know cognoscenti who had a crystal ball, but it was clear to me as a guy who's been in manufacturing for almost 30 years now that this was happening and this will continue to happen. Being able to pause and take a look backward before moving forward has really helped Epicor turn around its relationship with employees and its clients, while also providing a fuller perspective on the future. A trait that brings us back to our opening story with Marissa. Marissa had decided to stay largely inactive for the first three months of her tenure as CEO at her new company. She was eaten alive by the media for not acting fast enough, but she knew exactly what she was doing. By being present with her employees and listening to their partners and clients, she was able to get a big picture of not only what was wrong, but what steps were necessary to get to the root of fixing the problem. By looking backward, she was able to look forward with more clear eyes. Marissa in this story is Marissa Mayer, and the Goliath company she was working for? Yahoo. Some of the notable accomplishments of Yahoo under Marissa Mayer's five-year tenure as CEO included tripling the stock price and completing a successful acquisition to Verizon, releasing four native apps, Yahoo Mail, Yahoo Sports, Yahoo Finance, and Yahoo Fantasy Sports, also beating out Google's traffic for the first time in two years, and building a $1.5 billion mobile ad business. Marissa left Yahoo after she finalized their sale to Verizon. She had righted a sinking ship and helped build a company that changed the world. But she couldn't have done that if she had hit the ground running on day one without first putting her ear to the ground. Problems don't always scream to you out loud. A broken company isn't something you can unplug and plug back in again as a quick fix. 
like Marissa at Yahoo, Steve at Epicor knew that in order to go forward and build a game-changing company, it was first important to look backward and listen. Then once he had all the relevant information to think outside the box, he had to fearlessly push forward and change course, even if it ruffled some feathers. Sure, it's a long and hard road, but the final destination is employees who are bought in, clients who trust you, and revenue that makes it possible to keep the company moving forward. Business X Factors is brought to you by our friends at Highland. For over a decade, Highland has been named a leader in the Gartner Magic Quadrant for content services platforms, leading the way to help people get the information they need when and where they need it. More than half of 2020 Fortune 100 companies rely on Highland to help them create more meaningful connections with the people they serve. When your focus is on the people you serve, Highland stands behind you. Highland is your X factor for better performance. Go to highland.com forward slash insights to learn more. That's H-Y-L-A-N-D.com slash insights. You've been listening to Business X Factors, created by Mission.org and brought to you by Highland. If you like this show, please be sure you subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast app. I'd be so grateful if you rated and reviewed this show on Apple Podcasts, as that really helps ensure that more amazing listeners like you find the show. Thanks for listening. I'm Jeremy Bergeron, and I'll catch you next time on Business X Factors.